turns out that Saturday night isn't all right for Norwich City as they fell to their second successive championship defeat to Watford at Vicarage Road, confirming some of the fears that many have had about them in recent weeks in the process. Welcome to this week's Pinken.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. I'm your host, Connor Southwell, and joining us to pick the bones out of that Hornets defeat is Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman. And throughout recent weeks, we have been discussing a lot um, about performances against results and maybe the meaning of that and what it could lead to in the future. Norwich from going nine unbeaten and now only have one win in five. And it's amazing how you can flip these things in such a short space of time. But Paddy, the, the last two games specifically, are we beginning to maybe see some of the fears that people have had about Norwich City come to pass, come to fruition, particularly probably Saturday night's defeat to Watford, maybe more so than that defeat to Preston last weekend. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing though, Connor. That is the madness of the Championship because if they had put any sort of performance together, then we're recording a podcast with Norwich looking down on the rest of the Championship today. So it's what you see with your eyes and then what you see in terms of maybe the you know the state of play in the Championship. Does that basically say that we're basically in a very bang average Championship more broadly? And as a result, Norwich are more than living up to their part of it being so bang average because um, it was just a continuation of a theme if you want to get into this, well, the result speaks for itself, but even the performance, which has been nagging away and nagging away, even in that unbeaten 10-game run in the Championship, which, as you rightly say, has now turned with two two league defeats to one win in five. But, you know, if I look at that five-game spell, essentially, um the only win they got was at Blackpool and, and then they didn't play well that day, bar that 20-minute spell um, when, you know, triggered by Timu Pukki's what turned out to be the winner. But you could not turn around and say that Norwich have been cohesive, been composed, been in control of games, players seemingly looking like they're in a shape that they can get on board with, that suits their eye. Um, and so in that regard, what we saw at Watford was maybe a more extreme version, but still a continuation of a theme. That first half was diabolical. And uh, it's not being wise after the event when we see the, the lineup in the formation and it's Kieran Dowell on the right. What What is Kieran Dowell going to give you against Ismail Star to help Max Aarons? The answer is very little. And that was graphically illustrated by their second goal when Zara's died between the two of them. Um, and that's ended with Keenan Davis finishing. Um, Sahajan on the left, you know, I don't, don't really buy this about Dean Smith saying, well, we wanted to get him on the inside shoulder of Dan Gosling, who was playing right back for Watford. And, and he scored a goal, yes, but that was very firmly in the width of the, the penalty box, you know. So for me, that was him operating in a central area. And worth noting that that goal was sourced by Kieran Dowell playing a one-two with uh, Liam Gibbs in the central area, not wide on the right. So all of that seemed seemingly to me was very, very glaringly obvious when the team news came in. So it's not this isn't just on the players for me, this dissection of what happened to Watford. This is Dean Smith. What what has he seen before the game? I mean, he talked after the game about lack of physicality across the middle of the park, um, playing in front of Watford. But that all stems from him, surely, in terms of his selections and the instructions he gives to those players. And, you know, what a sad indictment that they had to basically rush Isaac Hayden back at half-time um, when Dean Smith, again, after the game, candidly said he only wanted to give him 10 or 15 minutes. They had to throw him in because the wheels had firmly come off and, uh, you know, it didn't turn around the result and it might be the dividend is down the line now if they can keep him fit. But, no, I think what we saw at Watford was just another, albeit marked, example of what we've seen in the last five games particularly. 
Um, and the difference between that block of five and maybe the games before is they aren't they aren't getting the results now to to mask the deficiencies in performance and disjointed nature of where the some of the personnel are playing. You know, I mean, again, at half time he makes two midfield changes, but also and it kind of went under the radar. He switches his fullbacks. You know, what is that saying? Is that saying that you know? And Byram did look more comfortable on his natural right side, and and Aaron's was was spared the the relief of having to try and deal with Ismail Assar, which he failed singly to do. It's just a, a mismatch of structural issues, tactical issues, personnel issues, and that's all at the door of Dean Smith for me because this group of players are fundamentally better than one win in five and, um, you know, it needs to change rapidly. You know, he spent quite a lot of the build-up talking about the higher-on-fire culture in the Championship more broadly and how nine managers have gone, seven of those not on their own terms. Um you know, Alex Neal and, and Paul Warren went seemingly to better opportunities in their view. Um, but a guy who's got 600-odd games, in the, to use his own figure, in the dugout knows results need to turn. If they don't, you know, then we know how this ends. So the alarm bells are sounding louder, probably. I think they were there in the background, maybe in the distance, and the volume's getting turned down when they're putting 10 unbeaten games together. But now... We can hear them. And who comes to town Tuesday night, Car Road? It's a Luton who haven't lost in the league. Well, they've lost once in the league since August 17th. And they've got September's Player of the Month in their ranks, who's a former FA Cup youth winner for Norwich and Carlton Morris. I think we all know how that script may end. And if it did, heaven help us, because um, it would get pretty toxic at Car Road. So, so these are big moments now, very big moments. And that insurance policy uh, from 10 unbeaten, they'll have cashed that up in full if they get the other side of Luton. Sheffield United and Burnley, and they haven't added any more points or maybe a point to, to their tally because then it won't be enough to say, this is all wrong, this is all wrong, but look at the league table because the league table will be having a very different complexion if if they don't pick up any points in these next three games. Yeah, I'm sure people have been listening to the pod in recent weeks and hearing us talk about this, and, and we've spoken about it, to be fair, probably since the start of pre-season, to, to be completely honest. This, this isn't a new conversation that that we've been having. And, and we were having it during that period where Norwich were unbeaten. They were winning games. And I'm sure people were listening, thinking we're being overly negative or, or, or perhaps even overly critical. But it's, it's this differentiation that we've seen all season between perhaps the eye test and the results test. And Norwich have maybe been passing the results test and not the eye test, so to speak. And that's not just being aesthetic. That's also being effective at points as well. Um, and the last time we've probably really seen them be effective was was that win away at Blackpool. And I mean, Pad's right, Sam, isn't he, in terms of the way this Norwich City team set up? And I, I don't think we're being wise after the event. I think, you know, if you go back and watch the team news video that me and Paddy did last night, I think we asked some of those questions before the game. And actually listening to Dean Smith post-match and he was talking about how if you get this Watford team running towards their own goal, that's when you perhaps cause them problems and yet he then contradicts that by saying he put he wanted to put a load of footballers in the team to try and out football them and, and ultimately play in front of them so that that that's I mean make it make sense Sam is basically what I'm what I'm asking you because it, it, it just felt as as Paddy said tactically wrong it felt sis, like they got the system wrong and it felt like they got the personnel wrong as well from the off yeah, I don't really understand it. I suppose the the explanation Dean Smith might have offered if asked was he had players like Kieran Dowell in there who might be able to slot those three balls in and, and get in behind the Watford defence. But it wasn't, you know, as you said, if Watford are going to come and, and sit behind the ball, which was what they did for the large majority, not only was that sort of their setup going into the game, but Norwich allowed them to do that with 
a pretty woeful 20 minutes in the middle of the, the first half that obviously opened up a lead that made it totally comfortable for Watford to to sit behind the ball for the rest of the game. Um, and and that means you, you can't really you can't really get players um, sort of in behind by just playing those balls. What they wanted to do was invite Watford on, and and you you said this to us yesterday in the car on the way back. Um, what they wanted to do was invite Watford on, and Watford were just saying no thanks. You know <laughs> we're winning two 0 and 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 we'll sit behind the ball and, and let you pass it in front of us. And Norwich didn't seem to have any sort of answers um, around that. And uh, I think perhaps the the best setup from the start would have been if Dean Smith did believe that, that the best way to counteract Watford's defensive security and organisation was to get him behind them, he perhaps should have recognised that and, and perhaps invited Watford onto Norwich when it was nil-nil when they had more um, more scope for perhaps deciding which way that the game went. But as soon as you have such a sloppy um, concession of, of two goals, really, and, you know, let's remember they... They saved a penalty as well, and and probably the goal was scored from a moment of individual brilliance rather than any sort of um, tactical strength or organisational um, profits. And they could have easily gone in at half time three 0 down. So if you're going to try and play like that, number one, you need to not concede early as they did, and you need to start better than they did. And number two, as you said, you probably don't start with the likes of Kieran Dow, Marcelino Nunez um, in midfield. Liam Gibbs maybe as well, who I thought struggled again yesterday. You probably set up to try and counter that. You probably set up with Josh Sargent through the middle, as obviously you and, you and Paddy have just spoken about just then. Um, it does seem like an incoherent strategy, and that's something we've said um, you know, for the whole of this season. I think people confuse it with us maybe saying that Norwich need to play possession-based football or they need to play similar football to what they did under Daniel Farker. And I don't think anyone is saying that really. I think they're just saying they'd like to see any sort of coherent plan and, and at least know what the team is trying to do because we can say that game to game, Dean Smith likes to change it up. It feels like even in the same game, he's trying to play possession football and counter-attacking football and long ball football all at the same time. Um, because, you know, you go Josh Sargent on the wing and it sort of suggests this is going to be a, a horrible physical team that's, you know, so so strong and focused on that, that they can't even force their sort of big man through the middle of the pitch. And then, you know, you look at the likes of, of Kieran Dowell and is he the sort of winger? Um, he's, he's not He's not a winger, is he? And he's certainly not the sort of winger that's going to be playing in a counter-attacking system. And Dean Smith knows that. He's spoken regularly about the lack of pace that, that Kieran Dowell has. So I'd just like to see some sort of coherent plan. I suppose Dean Smith would say that balance is important to him and he's trying to serve sort of all purposes but the fact is Norwich don't need to do that at this level they just need to they've got the players to if they have a significant plan and everybody knows what they're doing it doesn't need to be world class it doesn't need to be complicated and it doesn't need to serve a multitude of functions because they have one of the best if not the best squad in this league and I think if everybody knew what they were doing it would be pretty comfortable for Norwich to come away with three points in every game so for the first time I think well, maybe not for the first time, but for probably the most significant time, I'm looking at Dean Smith as Paddy uh, obviously said. I'm looking at Dean Smith in terms of responsibility for this result. And um, I, don't, I don't think he could shirk that, really. Yes, there were individual errors. There were problems with how the goals were conceded, especially the first one. I don't know how on earth um, Lauza finds it, it, as much time as he had at the back post. But 
yeah, organisationally, I think there were certainly problems, and Dean Smith probably has to um, has to bear a lot of a lot of responsibility for that. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting spell that they're in at the moment. It it, it is it is interesting what what Dean Smith is is trying to do in many ways, and you know this this comes obviously after a, a week where he appeared on on national radio and, and spoke about the importance of managers surviving and and be, as being a coach almost giving yourself a window before you can then build and maybe implement what you're you're trying to do. But I mean we we've sp- we've spoken about it for weeks and weeks and weeks, Pad. That actually you can almost and and he said it himself actually winning is the best sticking plaster and, and it and it does feel like that's kind of come off for Norwich City in recent weeks. I mean, we, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, but if if they don't win games and you're kind of left with that, I think everyone is, is probably feeling a little bit um, frustrated maybe by, by what they're seeing because they're seeing a group of players that they're constantly perhaps told and, and, and everyone expects to maybe be better than, than the showing and what we're seeing from them at the moment, particularly in this current run. I mean, this Norwich City team, at this level, in what you've described as perhaps not the not the best championship we've we've ever seen, should not be going five games with only one win, should they? Well, I mean, Dean Smith. Now, only a few hours ago, um, given it was a Saturday night kickoff, when I said, "Are you is it? Are you concerned in any way?" and, he, and his response was that this group of players, and this is their head coach, do not should not be losing back-to-back games at this level. And that's not an arrogance, I don't think. I think that's just him being very candid, that he looks at the group of players he's got, he's looked at the teams they're playing against, and he thinks pound for pound they've got better players. So he's almost indirectly saying, well, if it's not the players, the problem, where is the problem? And, um, you know, he'll, he'll have to take a long, hard look after after that performance from him and his coaching staff because, you know, the scrambled nature of the thinking, that, that was evidenced in that first half it was almost like the players weren't quite sure what what the instructions were or what the game plan was I mean this trying to switch the play he talked about as well and then get Sam Byram you know free on the left which they they achieved to a degree and Kenny McLean with those big switches but then Sam Byram he how unconvincing is he when he tries to go on the outside a right-footed player trying to take on players on his weaker foot um you know again you know Surely that's not the best route for Norwich to deconstruct whatever threat they had from Watford. And if if it was about don't play in front of them, then and again I'm not trying to be wise after the event. I just can't fathom. Sam asked him after the game, you know, were you tempted to retain the whatever you want to call it, diamond, not diamond, but certainly the two pronged central axis of Pookie and Sargent, which we saw in that very bright spell against Preston. We all know that the result didn't go for them, but I don't think that was a result of the setup at the top end of the pitch. He said he was. He said he was tempted, but he went to get went against it. But then, in the same press conference, you're talking about what you expected from Watford. Well, surely if they expected, to, you know, a team who were looking to counter and, and be very aggressive across the middle of the park, you go longer and by playing Sergeant down the middle with Pookie, that affords them the opportunity to do that. They have that physicality with Sergeant to hold the ball up, Pookie to run off him and do what he does very well in the channels. Um, you know. I'm, I'm talking on your behalf, boys. I don't think we have a coaching badge between us, but uh, certainly not one of a senior UA for a pro license level. But that looks very basic to me. You know, what? why, which takes the point you've just made there, Connor. If you think, or it might be Sam, actually, if you think you have the better players than most teams in this division, impose yourself on them. Don't try and, and go down this cul-de-sac of we need to do this, this and this to counteract what the opposition are going to do. And again, it's not being arrogant. Of course, Watford have got very good players. He's made a start. Too good for the Premier uh, to the, for the Championship, certainly. Um, 
but be be confident in your own ability as a coach and your playing staff to impose what you want to do on the opposition. Okay, you, you can't go gong-ho and you have to temper it, particularly when you go away from home. But I just think, and it's easy to say it now after the event, but if Norwich had gone with that similar type of forward setup, I don't think you see quite the limpness of that first half. And it may not have proved, as it didn't, against Preston good enough to get the win. There might have been other areas. We can get into the defensive abdication um, all, all night. Uh, uh, in due course, but I just think they're better set up in 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 that type of game in that first half than what they did offer, and uh, you know it's frustrating because you know there is there is a group of players they're good enough to to I'm not saying you know put that put the hammer down and pull away from the championship, but certainly to be better than this fitful incremental good for a little spell in games, then we see what we saw again, but to a more marked degree against Watford. And, you know, how long does that continue before, you know, the, the, the noise around Smith and his players is is too hard to ignore, really. And um, as I say, don't want to repeat myself, but what's insulating them at the minute is that they have had that productive spell in terms of points and accumulation allied to, I think, a very average championship. And they're firmly in the mix and remain firmly in the mix. But, you know, the underlying trends are aggressive and it's concerning. And um, if the head coach is, you know, going into games and 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 seeing things that, that don't transpire in games, then, you know, that's on him. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how good your individual players are, if you're, you're almost handicapping them to a degree in terms of how you set them up and what the instructions are you send them out with, then, you know, it's not enough to, to rely on Sergeant to do something or Pookie to do something or, you know, one of the other players, you know, fundamentally um, this group, a lot of this group, we're not good at the level above, nowhere near good enough. And I don't think they're, to be fair, far better than, than a lot of the teams at this level. I think they're, there's much of a muchness and it needs not just good players. It needs good coaching and good setups and good formations and good tactical stuff within games, good use of substitutes as well. Um, and over the evidence of these last five games, have we seen that? No. Yeah, yeah, really, really hard to disagree. And actually, I was um, I spoke to Josh Sargent after the game, and he made that point. And it's it's quite concerning actually when you when you hear a player talk about the need maybe for hunger, for desire, for more passion, for um, a, a need to do the basics right. I mean, this is a squad that is expected to to not just get promoted, Sam, but but also to to win the division. I think that's probably fair to say. I don't think we're, we're, we're placing too much expectation on it, considering, obviously, historical performance at this level, but also the fact that many regard this to be perhaps even a better squad than the one that, that they've had over the two years. That point is probably up for debate and probably for, for another podcast altogether. But, but just finally, to talk on the setup and how Norwich City approached this, it, it did feel like maybe Dean Smith overfought it slightly and uh, and was maybe expecting a slightly different game to the one that that he got. Is is that kind of a fair reflection on on, on perhaps how Norwich City set up and how they approached the game? Because as Paddy said there, it felt a lot more geared to perhaps trying to nullify what Watford were going to do, a Watford side who bounced into this game with, with two back-to-back defeats, rather than what his Norwich City side were going to try and do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think there's been too much focus across the whole piece on um, nullifying what opposition teams are, are doing. And, and Paddy made that point that, you know, if this is the best squad in the league, why on earth are you trying to do that every game? And I think part of the refreshing aspect of Daniel Farker's setup that everybody was obviously 
so enamoured with was that every game they set out and said, you know, this is going to be a game about Norwich City and, and Norwich fans went to games feeling like even if they lost, it was a sort of, you know, it was a Norwich City-based performance and the other team was almost an accessory, whereas now it's like it's the other way around. It's like Dean Smith's doing a tour of the Championship and assessing all the different playing styles he comes up against, um, which which is bizarre, I think, given in the press conference um, before the game, he spoke about how last season he felt Norwich couldn't out-football many teams and that's why he set up in the way he did at times and he said in the championship Norwich can can out football most teams well you know if you've got that belief then show it a little bit rather than trying to second guess what opposition teams are going to do trying to counteract a number of problems and inconveniencing yourself at times um to do that you know go out and and make it about Norwich and make um you know make Watford worry about Norwich because that's certainly the way it should be. Um, but Slavin Bilic came in and, and did his press conference and where perhaps a lot of the analysis when a team, you know, I think Watford were maybe slight underdogs given their position in the table. I know it was perhaps closer than than things going into the game might suggest, but as you'd you know, most analysis when a, a team that isn't expected to win wins focuses on the bigger team and how they haven't done what they were trying to do and how they haven't succeeded in the ways they normally have. Slavin Bilic came in, talked about Watford for 15 minutes and only when prompted by me to talk about Norwich did he start doing that. And that feels like almost the opposite of what, what Dean Smith would do. And I thought that was actually a keen example of what Norwich should perhaps be trying to do. Don't worry about, you know, Dan Gosling at right back and, and what he's going to do. Worry about which which player is going to be more effective? You know, is Josh Sargent going to be more effective on the wing or, or through the centre? You know, because combating Dan Gosling in the best way doesn't seem to be the best strategy when you've got a striker there who can play in the Championship very effectively through the middle and has scored eight goals pretty much all from from those sorts of positions. So it it does puzzle me a little bit. Um, and we've said constantly that this is Dean Smith's style, but if he is a true pragmatist and he's adapting to the circumstances for me the best tactical decision in the championship is always to take it to, to the opposition team and, and when you're the strongest team I don't I don't know why he appears to be spending so much time um, worrying about opposition teams I suppose we have framed it with the context quite often that Norwich's long-term goal is to stay in the Premier League and going into next season probably trying to combat other teams' strengths and nullify those will be the best strategy. And, you know, we can talk about the players and how they maybe will play a, a more defensive setup and that's more likely to to turn into a successful Premier League team. And maybe we could make the concession that as a coach, if you practice in that way and you set up in that way week by week when you go up to the Premier League, you're sort of used to that process. But I, I don't think that's the best way to go about it. Dean Smith has constantly spoken about how he's worried about getting out of the Championship first and then he'll worry about the Premier League. So treat it like the Championship. Treat it like, I know he said he's not done in Farquhar, but maybe treat it like other managers who have managed Norwich have treated the Championship. And going back even, it doesn't have to be that Daniel Farquhar style. Alex Neil took every game to the opposition. He, he barely worried about the opposition at all at times, I think, in in um, the Championship. And that was when Alex Neil's sides were best, when they just went out and, and took games to, to opposition sides in the second division. So all the evidence is there that 
if they want to get out of the championship first and they want to treat it like a division they're expected to win, the best decision is to focus on themselves and not to, you know, go around trying to combat various strengths that opposition have in various different ways. Um, but that doesn't seem to be what Dean Smith wants to do. Perhaps this result will give him a wake-up call because I think that will certainly be uh, the best thing for, for Norwich going forward. Disjointed, I think, is is the word. Not just yeah. Norwich City's performances, but it's how I describe the whole thing at the moment. Um, this connection between fans and, and players, fans and coach, it's it's all very disjointed. And um, particularly the, the run that they're in at the moment, this sticky spell doesn't really feel like it's going to pass particularly easily. And as you referenced earlier on, Pad, and we'll come on to it later on in the pod, it's... Um, it's going to be a very testing run. The next three games are, are particularly tough in particular. Um, Pad, to, to kind of discuss the, the defending aspect of it then, because I guess that is maybe the one point that we have been clinging on to in recent weeks. The fact that Norwich City have looked before probably the last two games uh, a lot better from a defensive perspective. I've got a, a screen grab in front of me, which is um, Keenan Davis as he's about to slot the ball into the into the back of the net for the, the second goal. Um I count, obviously, excluding Angus Gunn, eight Norwich City players in the box compared to Watford's five. And yet Keenan Davis is somehow stood uh, absolutely free inside the six-yard box to uh, basically, well, I mean, from the, if a striker misses from there, then, then you've got problems, basically. But uh, he managed to, to slot it in for 2-0. The first goal was was just as bad, really. Sam Byram, I think, trying to go across to cover Ishmael Assar or um, follow Ishmael Assar from a Norwich City corner. But then... Uh, nobody really covered him on the other side and, and you're left with Imran Luzo with a, a massive amount of space to, and he did scuff the volley to, to put it in the back of the net. Um, it was also some some rather clumsy defending for Liam Gibbs for, for the penalty. There were other examples. I think Keenan Davis had another shot that, that Angus Gunn saved um, early on. There was one in the second half. There was one from a set piece that, that maybe they should have done better with. I mean, this is now two games where we've seen individual errors, but also poor defending from a structural perspective as well from a team that to be fair in the in in the in the sort of first portion of the season this this kind of looked like their their um USP really well mainly because Dean Smith when he first came in going back to the Premier League made it his his mission almost um, you could flippantly say well he didn't succeed really in that given they they unraveled at the same speed they were probably going to unravel under Daniel Farker but to, to make them tougher defensively with a better structure um, and almost get that solid foundation and platform. And albeit at a lower level against teams with players who don't take the same ratio of chances, that, that the evidence that was building would suggest that he had not cracked the code, but that, that that had been the case. But these last two games, yeah, structurally and individually, complete abdication. I mean, to for a, a top level or a coach and with top level aspirations, what he and his fellow coaches and Alan Russell, the set piece, make make of essentially that first goal came from a Norwich corner. I mean, that's just um, Hackney Marsh's stuff, really. Not not a team with pretensions to be in the Premier League. It, it's Again, it's more evidence for me of that, the scrambled thinking, the scrambled actions of those on and off the park that culminated in that first half that probably is without parallel this season. I can't think of quite so poor a first half from a Norwich team. There's been poor periods within first halves, but not from start to finish, really, albeit maybe the first five or ten minutes when the, the game settles down, it's fairly even. But 
Yeah, no, horrendous, horrendous. I, I'd cut him a little bit slack, not so much the, the Davis unmarked, but that how the ball got to him. I mean, it's quite clear to me Spreer was trying to have a shot there and, uh, you know, he could try that action again 10 times and, and nine times. He'd probably carve it out of play anywhere other than Keenan Davis. So the fact the fates were not with Norwich in that action, but but obviously before that, the ball doesn't get to him. If Saar doesn't square up Max Aarons and uh, twist his blood uh, and, and have him gone through very proud of Puff sort of obstacle presented by Kieran Dowell as well to get into the box. And and even the first goal, if you take that actually back, yes, that clearly the loser element was Dowell and, and Hanley, Hanley not on the same page in terms of communication. They're both locked on to Davis. What Dowell's doing there when Hanley's got him, I don't know. But again, it's a, it's a forward-thinking player. He's not a defensively-minded player. So, you, you know, you'd expect him to be better than that. But, but, Fundamentally, those areas of the pitch are not where Kieran Dowell is going to have any real positive impact. Um, but even that, that before the ball gets to Loza, it's because Max Aarons hasn't closed down Saar quick enough and allows him to get his head up on the edge of the box on the opposite side and pick that pass out. And he's good enough. He has the quality. He will do that. Um, so you'd love to be a fly on the wall of the learning zone at Colney in the next day or two when they debrief that game. Because as Dean Smith said on Friday to us after the, the Preston debacle, that, that goal involving Krull and Aarons and Gibbs, I think it was the second goal Preston scored, he he basically threw the floor over to them and wanted those lads to have a, an honest conversation and, and encourages that. So what those conversations will look like when they, they punch up on, on the screen, uh, Watford's first and second goals, then I, as I say, I'd love to be part of that because, you know, it's almost what's the point in talking? What is the point in continually sort of debriefing that if if the same issues be, uh, are still there, does it get to the point where you have to consider? And he made the change with the keeper. Do you have to change outfield defenders? Um, he may be forced into one, unfortunately, now because it looks like Omar Daly has uh, suffered a left ankle injury. Clearly, we're in the phase of letting it settle down to assess the full extent, but. Very, very, very unlikely that we see him against Luton. So that will necessitate a change. And Ben Gibson will come in alongside Hanley, I'm sure. But you know, those fullbacks, they're, they're, are they are they convincing you that, that, that they're defensively sound? Um, let alone offering anything in terms of an attacking sense. Thankfully, Yanulis is supposed to be back in training from you know today, tomorrow. Um, probably too soon to throw him back in, but then he, he did it with Hayden, didn't he? So maybe not completely rule him out for Luton, but would be a stretch, I think, to, to start him. But um, I think it is getting to the point now where it probably does need personnel shaking up as well because, you know, it's the same players making the same errors. And maybe that, you know, that structural element to the defending or lack of defending, again, is is a concerning element because that, that rests at the coaching. What are they being coached at Colney day-to-day? Smith, Shakespeare, Bramley, Russell, what are they doing with them? What drills are they doing with them? Because, you know, I don't think it's enough to just say it's a lack of confidence underpinning what we've seen defensively in the last two games. It feels like a much deeper rooted issues. Um, and it, and that all pins or comes back for me, back round to not what we see on the pitch. What we see on the pitch should be a representation on a Saturday and a Tuesday of what we see or what is happening day to day at Colney. So it, it does start to pose some serious questions about what on earth they are doing on a day-to-day basis um, in terms of embedding the principles of good defending individually and collectively. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a really interesting point. And, and you mentioned kind of shuffling around some of the defenders there. Probably prompts us nicely onto onto a conversation about Max Aaronson, but obviously we can broaden it out to to the fullbacks more generally. The the only sort of real comparison I can make is um when when Grant Holt played under Chris Hutton and it just he didn't look happy, the system didn't work. He might have scored goals and been somewhat effective, but I think he said after the event that he didn't really like the style of play and that it didn't necessarily suit him. It kind of feels like that with Max Aarons in this Dean Smith setup, doesn't it? Kind of curved from an attacking perspective, can't really impact games, isn't really given the, the freedom or the license that he was to, to go and hurt teams from an attacking perspective got absolutely run ragged by Ishmael Assar, who by all accounts, I've, I've seen various Watford fans say, have, uh, has looked not himself recently, obviously coming back from a long-term injury and, and maybe not been as willing to engage defenders one beat one as perhaps he was on Saturday night. So I think I think we've probably, I mean, we, we, we have spoken about this before, I think uh, around Max and, and around this kind of plateau, but it, it does feel like he, he needs a little bit more freedom from an attacking perspective to, to maybe... F- feel himself again so to speak without I'm doing this kind of without speaking to him so it's hard but that's certainly what it looks like looking at it um, when, when he's on the pitch and when he's playing yeah it feels a bit more like a regression than a plateauing at the moment to be honest um, I think we maybe reached that plateau two three years ago even um, I don't think we've seen him improve much since that first relegation in, in 2020 and now it feels like Smith's system as you referenced is really curbing his his strengths. I think defensively, he's underrated in some aspects. Um, in my mind, I think when he's sort of covering around the back post, I think he does a, a decent job at times. There was one clearance yesterday, actually, when he was playing left back. Um, I think Gunn could have dealt better with a, a shot and it spilled almost into Keenan Davis' path and, and Max Aaron's was at the back post mopping up, mopping up and, and cleared it. But one-on-one, that's always been a bit of a weakness and we saw him... Um, really, really struggle against Dean Garner, against West Brom at Carrow Road. And it was a similar situation against Ismail Assar um, yesterday. And when he doesn't have those attacking elements to almost make up for it, I think in the, the early parts of his Norwich City career, we were saying quite, it was almost the attacking part was what you were speaking about. And that was why he was such a good player. And then the defensive side was a little bit of a caveat and something that we were hoping he would improve upon a little bit of a sort of Trent Alexander-Arnold feeling about that. But now that he doesn't have the attacking elements to speak about and we can't talk about all the brilliant link-ups he's had with with Tamer Pukki or Emi Buendia as it was when he was at his best, down that right-hand side, it doesn't feel like there's much to cling on to and much to show as, as an example of why Max Ahrens is a good player and why he should be in this side. So, you do feel for him a little bit. I also think perhaps the defensive weaknesses can be minimised by allowing him to attack a little bit because it sort of pins back the winger, forces them to to come back and help out on the defensive side. And that means that Ishmael Assar is maybe, when, when Watford counter and when they win the ball back um, and sort of go, Ishmael Assar isn't receiving the ball on the halfway line because that's where Max Aarons is and that's where he's allowed to stand. Ishmael Assar might be receiving the ball on the edge of his box because... Max Aaron's has, has forced him to, to come back and defend against him. So I don't necessarily think it's a case of having to take away from the attacking side to benefit on the defensive side, especially given that sort of positional. And even if Max Aaron's is in a good position, we've seen that one-on-one, he probably does need to improve that side of his game. Um, and 
you know, even if he is in a deep position, Saar got the better of him um, a couple of times or a few times yesterday, really, to the extent that Dean Smith actually had to swap wings to to avoid him potentially getting carded again, um, as he said in his, his press conference. So it's another feeling of a player where Dean Smith probably isn't getting the best out of them. And I don't want to just bash, bash Dean Smith for the whole of this podcast. I think there aren't too many players in that Norwich team, bar Josh Sargent, who could say that they've had as good a season as they were hoping to, um, or as good a season in the championship as they certainly could have. But it it feels like this is more of a, a system issue than a, a personnel issue because we've seen Max Aaron's talent before and his consistency as well. This isn't a player who's just put in some excellent performances and has shown signs of a, a good player. You know, this isn't a Josh Murphy or a Nathan Redmond where you you think perhaps um, the the inconsistency is the issue and when they go on to, to bigger things, that, that's what rears its head later on in their career because we were looking at it and I remember a, a time when the, the classic trope about Aaron's was, you know, never never less than a seven, sort of quite a consistent eight out of ten um, for Norwich and now it feels like he's a pretty consistent five out of ten, um, unfortunately. So I don't know what, what you can blame that on other than the system and, and Dean Smith and you can understand, especially in the Premier League, why he might have tried to curb those attacking instincts and why he may have thought instinctively Norwich were poor at defending. Their right-back is gallivanting forward as much as he likes. It's a pretty simple fix, but when you drill into it and whether they're actually gaining anything even defensively from him being in a, a deeper position is certainly up for for debate for me and um, then certainly not getting the, the best out of him in an attacking sense because at times yesterday, I actually thought he was the player with the most thrust when he got in and around the Watford box. He's somebody who wants to link up with players. He wants to force the ball into the opposition box. We see it so often, him feeding it into Pukki's feet and trying to get to the byline to to find that cutback. Um, but he's not allowed to do that probably half as much as he was under Daniel Farker and uh, as one of Norwich's best and most talented and sort of most rated across the football world players. Um it is a little bit baffling that he he isn't being given the ability to to go and do what he does best, uh, and that's another way that I think Norwich could improve. And, and hopefully, these performances that we've seen and this debate that we're having, because every game it feels like the debate about Max Aaron's is worsening and, and getting more significant. Hopefully, Dean Smith picks up on it soon and realizes that's the way that he can improve the side because at Championship level, as we've provided with all the context about them being better than most teams and having more talent. I don't think they they need to have their fullbacks on the halfway line when they're attacking at all. And I think um, Aaron's can, can probably go and attack and can have the freedom to do that against most teams in this this division. So I, I hope he, he does get let loose. But my, my instinct at the moment is to say that looks quite far away under Dean Smith, unfortunately. I keep coming back to the quote, and this isn't around Max Aaron's, this is around Norwich City generally. Um, it's it's that one. I'm sure you've heard it if you've, if you've played football, which is uh, hard work beats talent when talent refuses to work hard. And uh, it does feel like we've we've seen that on occasion um, this season from Norwich City. When, when, when you, you look at the games they've lost, it does feel like they've lost against teams who have maybe, want, maybe with the exception of Preston, wanted it a little bit more, which is um, quite a, a concern and, and something that needs addressing. And maybe that is a motivational point around how 
they focus on what their task is at this level in this division rather than maybe looking too far ahead and and possibly at what comes next and walking around thinking that maybe they're Premier League players, if some of them are. And it's, it's difficult to say that without obviously being uh, embedded in the group every day. Uh, a couple of positives from from last night because there was some uh, Isaac Hayden came on I thought it was uh, ran out of run out of gas towards the, the second half of the second half which is to be expected but for the first half of the second half I thought we we saw a glimpse of, of maybe what he could offer to Norwich City a physicality a protection um, I thought he, he shielded Norwich's back four pretty well he gave them a better balance he enabled Gabriel Sara and Kenny McLean to go and press in a better way I thought uh, Gabby Sara made some excellent off the ball movements particularly in the box Again, they looked better balanced with him in the side, which, I mean, obviously begs the question of why he didn't start in the first place, given what we saw last weekend. I think it's now becoming very difficult to envisage a situation where he isn't um, starting on Tuesday night. Um, and, you know, to be honest, Norwich did look better in the second half, but they still didn't manage a shot on target. Um, Grant Hanley hit the bar. They had a little bit of a spell in, in the opening um, period of the second half where they, they were kind of huffing and puffing without really creating too much and then kind of fizzled out and Watford kind of sunk into game management mode a little bit. Um, and, and to be honest, it wasn't going to take much for them to be much improved in the second half. And it also probably wasn't going to take much for them to look a bit more balanced than, than they did in the first half. So all of that with the, the caveats. But Paddy, to, just finally on this segment before we we, we talk about something else, um, to, to play devil's advocate, I've got some, some kind of numbers in front of me, which is Norwich City... Um, after 14 games in the championship in, in the last, well, the, the last three seasons that they've been at the level, obviously the two previous ended in title wins. 14 um, games played in 18-19. Norwich sat in fourth place. They had 24 points uh, with a goal difference of plus two. And, and that was after a 2-1 win against Aston Villa. I think it would have been Steve Bruce's Aston Villa at that point. Um, might might have been Dean Smith, so I'm not sure. Uh, in 2020-21, uh, it was a 1-1 draw against Coventry. Uh, they were they were top at that point with 28 points, a goal difference of plus seven. You look at where they are currently, it was obviously a 2-1 defeat against Watford last night. They're third place, 24 points, goal difference of plus six. So they're actually on the same amount of points as they were at this stage in 18-19. They're one point off top. They're also four points off 11th. So that's, that's the championship for you. Um, you can even extend this back to, to 2010 if you wanted. Um, they, they were in fifth place at this at the same stage with 23 points, having just been beaten 3-1 by Cardiff. Um, so, I mean, actually you look at it and, and you probably argue that they're tracking okay and that it's not going to take too much to turn this around. But it is that, isn't it? it it's going to need something to turn it around. It's going to need something to turn the feeling around because at this moment in time, as you say, the underlying numbers and the data and the statistics and the eye test maybe even points that this is tracking in sadly one direction as it has been probably even when Norwich City were winning games of football. Well, yeah, and I'll go back to, I think you pulled it out two or three podcasts ago. Um, there is a potential parallel to take that point and run with it with with the 14-15 season where Neil Adams was in charge and at this stage, well, around about this stage, um, the wheels were starting to come off after, you know, they were in a, no, tell a lie, I've got my seasons mixed up. I'm thinking of the season where it was Alex Neil, wasn't it? It was Alex Neil, sorry. Um, yeah. The 14. Well, they were top after 12 games. Yeah, yeah. Was that the Newcastle when they went to Newcastle and Dwight Gale? Yes. Well, that, yeah. well that, that was yeah. similar time in the season, wasn't it? It was towards the end of October, I think, where, where that began to, to yeah. go downhill. But in so that would have been fifteen, sixteen, wouldn't 16, it? Yeah. Seventeen, wouldn't it? I mean, seventeen, where the platform was in place in terms of the points, but 
there was that nagging, something isn't quite right. And that was obviously a, a very big romp on Alex Neal subsequently when he was, was de- dethroned, um, reflected on that and was too loyal to the group who'd, who'd come out of the Premier League and felt they had enough about them to go again. And that, that actually cuts the heart of your previous point, Connor, about... And as you were talking about that, I thought about it. I put that to Smith back end of last season. Quote, what if you are going back to the championship with a group of players who, not arrogantly, but think, I can't get myself going again for, for the championship and Blackpool and, um, you know, Reading on a whatever Tuesday night um, in half-empty stadiums. Uh, and that motivational element to sort of been there, done it, how do I go again? And I remember Dean Smith said, if they're not... If, if, if I see any evidence of that, they won't be here, basically, or they won't be part of it. So, in other words, he was going to stamp down on that. But it's very easy to say that. But if it's just a subliminal, self-conscious, fractions of a percent less in terms of their output, because there is that element, very hard, are you? and you've got a lot of players in the same sort of boat. And obviously, players who are older, Dean Smith himself said, talking about Pookie the other day, he's three or four years older than when he first tore up the championship. You have to factor in that, it's an, in some regards, it is an aging, certainly core of players. Um, and these are all factors. If you're coming up against teams who look at it and think we can't take Norwich on in terms of maybe ability, uh, we don't have the quality they have, but there's other areas. And, and that could be very pertinent when Luton come to town on Tuesday night, because I think their playoff success in terms of getting to the playoffs last season was founded on this real blue collar, roll your sleeves up, work ethic. They didn't have any superstars in that group, I don't think it's safe to say, but they had a real cohesive there's things that we can be better at than than a lot of teams in this league and, and if we do that on a regular basis, we can have success. And, you know, if if that that isn't in Norwich's DNA because they maybe feel they have better players and they can do do it a different way and progress a different way, then on the on the evidence of where we are at this stage of the season, that isn't the case. And and your concern is always that we may be on track for a 16-17 season rather than the two Farker seasons, which ended back in the Premier League, where you look at the table at a, a given point two or three months in and it looked reasonably healthy and looked like they had a platform to kick on. And you knew that there was a lot of players, both in that squad and this current squad, who'd been over this course and distance and come out successfully the other side. So you you took a lot of solace from that, that they knew when push comes to shove what was required. But it went the other way. And, and it was a very sad, slow descent. Funnily enough, the game that sticks out in my mind from that season was around the Christmas period where a Huddersfield team who were on the up under David Wagner, a bit like Luton, but very unfashionable. Nobody really expected them to do anything with a certain Stuart Webber in the background as well, came and and basically gave Norwich a footballing lesson at Car Road one night. I think it was around about December. I think it was a 2-1 defeat. Um, and that was well, almost... That was uh, also... It was, um... I'm trying to think if Dean Smith was in charge, but there was also a defeat to Brentford, Brentford wasn't there? Yeah. Was that that season? With I don't, you have to check, Connor. You'd have to check. But yeah, there was an Alex Pritchard-inspired Brentford win, I think, one year under Dean Smith. But but that was very much uh, an eye-opener because nobody really that season, I think, probably even inside the camp of Huddersfield, expected them to go on and do what they did. But that's the thing. You know, it's about cycles and you know, curves and and teams and groups and clubs and coaches who are on the up as opposed to ones who are maybe plateauing or going the other way. And, uh, you know, it at the minute, there's a bit of a crossroads feel to it. It could go one of two ways, but filtered through what we've seen in the last five games in terms of results, but also those continuing patchy performances, you fear it's going to go the other way. So, you know, 
these these are big moments. These are big moments. And, you know, if it doesn't come together, and I don't think it's necessarily for me, you look at it and it isn't about they haven't got the points on the board uh, and they're not able to get results. It's how they're going about it and how they're achieving it. And everything feels an internal struggle and a conflict and almost by, by dint of sheer, you know, individual quality at certain games that they're getting results rather than, you know, the cohesiveness of an approach that they're all seemingly comfortable with on and off the park. And that, of course, it's the championship. You will lose games. It's inevitable. Even the the, the peak Farker season that they lost games, but there was still an underlying, okay, we'll, we'll lose the odd, long, odd game along the way. But you can see this group is on the up under a head coach who has really imposed his style of play on a and the, and it, and it's a style of play that is proving very effective as they, it did with under Wagner at Huddersfield, as it did even under you know Nathan Jones and Luton last season. Maybe not to the point where they got them into the Premier League, but certainly outperformed. And you know we hear endlessly about XG this and XA that or whatever, but outperforming maybe the sum of the individual parts of a squad. Could anybody reasonably look at Norwich and Dean Smith and say? They're outperforming the sum of the parts. The answer we all know is is not is no. And and on current trends, it's only going to go one way, and it'll be something more akin to that sixteen seventeen gruel and uh, you know another season that ends with you know players walking around the pitch at Car Road with those uh, sort of banners that the sponsors provide with "We're going up, we'll see you back in the Premier League." I don't think there's there's anybody who's looking at this now at this moment in time. And saying that's a likely scenario. So, you know, but it's worth reiterating we're 14 games into a 46 game season. We've got Isaac Hayden back in the mix. We've got Dimi Yunulis to come in there as well. Um, Zara to be really incorporated into the 11. You know, there's there's more than enough games, quality, um, nows to, to, for this to come together and coalesce around Dean Smith and his coaching staff and whatever style you want to attach to it, but but effectiveness wise, get them back to the Premier League. So I don't I don't think, you know, it's very premature to be talking about his status and his position and, and the wheels coming off. No, it's more of the same, which is a head coach and a group of players trying to find a residually robust and effective template that means they can go anywhere against any opponent, home or away in the championship and pick up points. I don't think right now we have that sense really from the outside looking in. Uh, and more worryingly, that first half at Watford suggested to me the players don't really believe it either. And that's more concerning because if the players aren't buying into it, um, then that's a bigger question about wh- where the season goes from here. Yeah, absolutely. Bang on. Um, I think the Brentford season was actually under Neil Adams. I think I've got my timelines a little bit confused, but I'm actually looking. I've got pretty much all the results of that 16 17 campaign in front of me um and there is quite a striking parallel actually of maybe a warning of what direction it could potentially go in Norwich were top after 12 games second after 13 and actually in the top six until game 17 um and then uh, didn't get back in it pretty much all season despite some pretty good individual results and actually a relatively good home record they only lost four at home all season but they lost 12 on the road and it was actually probably the away form that cost them in the end but there was a period after that um, sort of 12 
12 game mark in that season where they actually lost five games on the spin and only won two in uh, about 10, I think. Um, so that, that maybe illustrates the direction that it could go. It's also worth saying that this is fixable and Norwich City could find form and find the fixes. And maybe it is a case of Isaac Hayden coming back to fitness. My fear around that is that Norwich City will need him before he's ready. Dimi Yanoulis as well coming back, it will, will be a massive boost and should add a bit more balance. Um, and I think maybe before we can actually properly, fully cast a proper judgment on Norwich City, we need to see what that really looks like and how much it improves them and whether it improves them at all um, before we can maybe even begin to speak about um, Dean Smith's position, which is just an absolutely ludicrous argument for me at the moment, in spite of the criticism that perhaps we've 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 given him um, during this podcast. For the for the final bit of the pod, then uh, Pad, I'm I'm going to bounce this back to you. Um, Stuart Webber this week was was linked with with Chelsea. Uh, some reports that talks had taken place over their their vacant sporting director position. I think that was uh, that that emerged on on Wednesday. Uh, I think it was a report in the Sun that uh, essentially said that the conversation had been had that he'd emerged as a, a a likely candidate that he would take a job if if it was offered to him. I mean, what what do you make of this speculation and, and where we are with with Stuart Webber at the moment? Because I think. He's been quite a controversial figure in the last year or so, largely perhaps for some of his shortcomings. But you look at it in the round and it's very hard to to say that Stuart Weber hasn't done a very good job as Norwich City Sporting Director because that probably doesn't equate with reality. No, and, and you know, uh, not to uh, praise you too highly, Connor, but you did a very good column on, on that very Weber um, considered kind of take on it in terms of the, the pros and any sort of negatives you want to put in the other side of the ledger. And, and I wouldn't disagree with any of that. I thought it was spot on. I think he, he go, whether it was Chelsea or hypothetically another club, he goes, he, his legacy is, is a lot healthier than the one he inherited. And, and he, by his own measure, he said that would always be how he would view his, his success or failure at Cairo, that the, 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 the wreck that he inherited, um, he didn't want to pass it on to a predecessor or a successor. Sorry. Um, and if that was the case and it was to happen in the shorter term now, then irrespective of this, you know, struggles on the pitch or, or sort of craving to, to to really maximise the potential in this squad under this head coach in the round, there's no doubt he, he has had a transformative impact on Norwich um, within a self-funded model. It's worth putting that caveat in as well, which is, you know, limited him, I'm sure, allied to that pandemic, which, you know, nobody when he first walked in the door could ever conceived in terms of the impact it had in terms within a self-funded model uh, of the the contraction in finances. Can you imagine if they hadn't had to plug that tens and tens of millions of pound hole from from no match day revenue over, over a season where that could have been funneled and, and rechanneled if Stuart Weber, had, you know, had his optimum sort of plans in place. So fundamentally, I, th- I think you know we don't need to revisit all the all the issues around the end of last season and his desire to maybe balance a bit more his work in his life uh, and go and pursue other things or one other thing primarily. Um, but you know we said at the time, and I, I'd still say the case. It does feel that you know maybe he isn't fully there now in terms of you know it's not the all-consuming thing it was when he walked through the door in 2017 and why would it because it's very hard to maintain that almost zealous ideological 
you know, project and be the figurehead of it and carry it all on your shoulders. And, and you know, he was a young man and he still is a young man relatively, but that that season in, season out um, takes a toll, I'm sure. And um, And it's no wonder that, you know, maybe through the pandemic that he reassessed parts of his life as well. Now, the interesting thing for me would be, and we don't think there's there's anything going to be tangibly, tan, tangibly developing in terms of the Chelsea link from here. It would appear that, that he was one of a number of people they were looking at as part of a more broader structure they want to put in place around Graham Potter. And that's purely just from, from all the reports we've seen in the media in the last few days. So I don't think necessarily we need to, to worry too much about it. It'll be Chelsea, it'll be his exit strategy. But it wouldn't surprise me if if at some point that he does go, um, because you know it's it's very hard to maintain you know what he what he has achieved to this point, and um, you know feel that you're always sort of swimming against the tide. So if it's not Chelsea, it'll be you know it'll be another opportunity. He's he's said all along that not necessarily in football, so I wouldn't rule that out as well. But you know I don't think Chelsea is necessarily the fit. What it does do, and it doesn't harm him in the slightest, is if you know there is a kind of what next in his own mind to have his name out there linked with a club with the magnitude of Chelsea will do him no harm whatsoever in terms of raising his profile, be it Chelsea or any other club who are looking at him. Um, but it, it didn't when I immediately when I saw those reports, I just thought no, it doesn't quite have that seamless fit to it for a lot of reasons, um, both on his side and maybe what Chelsea are looking at. Um, but you know the reality is. I don't think it'll be the last link involving him and he's on this rolling contract. So contractually, there wouldn't really be too much that would have to be untangled. And of course, he's been grooming uh, a successor. They, The club would, would be quick to dismiss that that's how it has been put together. But, you know, you bring in a guy and work closely with him and they share the same office at Colney and Neil Adams and sharing a lot of the workload, I'm sure, and learning all the time on the job from Stuart. It would seem quite a strange strategy then if, Hypothetically, Stuart Webber departs that Neil Adams isn't receiving the baton. Um, so, so you know, in terms of succession planning, it feels like that's been where they've been working to as well. It's really the only imponderable in, in this now is is the when. I don't think necessarily it's if, it's when. And whether it's in this season, whether it's in the summer, whether it's a bit longer, who knows? But, you know, I think we're in... We're probably in the end phase of the Stuart Weber and Norwich project, and it, and all it remains to be seen is when and where to really for me. Yeah, absolutely, um, and it's worth noting as well. Pretty much every other club, and I think uh, Brighton is a good example, and Liverpool are a good example that have appointed assistant sporting directors. Those assistants have subsequently gone on to become sporting directors. Not too. Um, Soon after, obviously, Dan Ashworth moving to Newcastle and uh, and, uh, and Michael Edwards taking a break from the game. Uh, and both of their, I think Julian Ward is is the sporting director at Liverpool now. And you've got David Ware, I think, at Brighton, who, who's, who's become that role or technical director or whatever they, they, uh, they prescribe to it. So that's going to be very interesting. Boys, before we end the pod, I thought we'd look at the next three games. Luton, Sheffield United, Burnley. We'll revisit this after this. I'm going to ask for a points tally. Maximum of nine, obviously minimum of of zero. So, Sam, I'm going to come to you first. You can only give me the points. How many are Norwich going to get from the next three games? Oh, that that is a toughie. I've, I've got two potential answers in my, my head and I'm trying to decide whether to be optimistic or not. Um, let's go let's go with four. Pad? He's, he's he's seen my slip of paper. I was going to say four, yeah. Connor? Three. 
Three. Yeah. Which game are they winning then? Luton. Tuesday, but that's going to be tough in itself, isn't it? But right, we'll, we'll come back to that and we'll see whether we've been too pessimistic or maybe even too optimistic. We shall see. Uh, thank you, uh, gents, for joining me. Thank you all very much for listening as well. We'll, of course, uh, be back at Carroll Road on Tuesday night. We'll also be at Sheffield United next Saturday and we will revisit you thereafter. Uh, an interesting run of games that Norwich City are in, an interesting point. It's going to be very interesting to see where things go from here. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you again very soon.